church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you this week. That was We Are the Light by Jesse Manabusen. If you'd like more information about Jesse, stop by my website at www.catholichack.com. Look for the post for this show, and you'll find a link to his website. Well, it's been a pretty busy week, and uh, I was very blessed this past Friday on March 5th to give a talk, give a lecture on Love and Responsibility, on Shame and Continence, which is what we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. And you can hear that full talk, the full lecture, plus the questions on the website. That's www.catholichack.com. The next time I will uh, give a talk will be on March 20th in San Antonio at the Catholic Men's Conference there. For more information, why don't you check out pilgrimcenterofhope.org or, again, stop by my website for a link to theirs. Well, this week we're going to be finishing up our series on shame and continence by talking about continence, which is the action of self-control. And so we'll get into that. But first, let's say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory and praise to you, Almighty God and Father. We come before you humbly, seeking your grace and your mercy in this show, and we pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to take possession of this discussion, to guide us in the direction that He wishes for it to go. I especially lift up all people 
all men who are struggling with addiction to pornography and sexual license, and all women who are destroyed and hurt by such activity. May God free us both. May God lead us through His Son's dying on the cross through salvation. We seek the mercy and love of the Holy Spirit to guide us on this walk and this journey with Christ. And we pray that Our Lady intercede for us along the way. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, the last two weeks, we've been dealing with shame and shamelessness, and how that relates to modesty and chastity. And we left off last week with talking about how a lot of folks, too many folks, use the the excuse of, quote-unquote, love to justify their immoral activity. You know, I used it for decades you know, claiming that we were all made like this. You know, God made us into sexual beings, and and I did, I love her, but you know, even if I don't live with her and I'm not married with her, you know, that I still love her, and we love each other. That gives me the right to to do whatever I want. Right? Wrong. We said our emotions would deceive us and can deceive us. That true love seeks the greatest good for the other person. That the example of true love is Christ, who died for his spouse, his bride, on the cross, who held nothing back, who loved her so much that he would be beaten, that he would be spat upon, he would be mocked, that he would have his skin torn from his body, and he would be nailed to the tree of life, and then sit there and drowned in his own bodily fluids for hours, that he might die an agonizing death, so that his wife, his spouse, his bride, the body of Christ, that's you and me, so that we might be perfected, that we might be made holy and presented to the Heavenly Father as an, a, a, per, a perfected spouse, a perfected bride. That's love. That's pouring yourself out for your spouse and, your, and your, the one that you say you truly love. So you cannot use love as your excuse to justify and rationalize your behaviors. And uh, so that's where we left off. And this week, we need to talk about some of those more practical elements in this discussion, and that's continence. On page 194 of Love and Responsibility, uh, Pope John Paul II says, quote, A man must control the concupiscence of the body, must endeavor to control it at the moment when it makes itself felt and demands satisfaction in defiance of reason. You see, continence is the act or the capacity for self-control or moderation. Now, let me share with you my experience. Now, you've heard me say this on the show about to talk about my conversion and how God sort of woke me up in April of 2002, allowing me to mystically understand certain things, one of which was the need to have sexual integrity. The instant before... I would have made an excuse. I would have rationalized. I would have used love as my get-out-of-jail-free card to do whatever I wish, to enjoy pornography or to, uh, you know, to scandalize and use women for personal pleasure. I would have made those excuses. But in that instant, when God came and he just knocked the scales from my eyes, I realized that I had to have sexual integrity. I could no longer masturbate. I could no longer use pornography. I could no longer look at women as though they were commodities and not human persons made in the image and likeness of God, daughters of the Most High. And so I, I was actually starting to practice continence 
or self-control without even really realizing what I was doing. I hadn't even heard of theology of the body or love and responsibility at that point. And that wouldn't come for some time later. And so I'll just start to share. I'll take up from that point and, and talk about what I had to do in order to get by, to survive, if you will. See, the trick here is we have to put our reason above our appetites. We've talked about that before. In Genesis 2.25, we are told, as we said last week, that uh, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. Now, how could that be, we said? I mean, clearly, uh, Eve's naked body would have caused scandal to Adam, right? Wrong. The reason why it didn't, as we said before, is because Adam would not use his spouse, his bride, as an object of mere pleasure. She has a supra-utilitarian nature, or a nature that is above and beyond the use of utility, meaning the object of mere pleasure. She is a person, whole and complete. Her body, her sexuality, is an element of that person, but it is not the only element, and is not the most important element. Her, her person, her person as an entirety, is far more important. And in Genesis two twenty five. Adam would not have abused her that way. The potential for abuse didn't exist. And they were in love truly and completely, giving them to them each other 100%, holding nothing back. And therefore, their love absorbed their shame, because shame is a natural function. But in Genesis 3-7, only a few sentences later, all of a sudden, their eyes are opened, we're told, and they are naked and they are ashamed and they start to sow fig leaves to cover their body. Well, what happened? Sin. Sin happened. Concupiscence entered into the divine uh, story of salvation history, and mankind fell from grace, and also all of creation now descends into concupiscence. Now, all of a sudden, the potential for abuse exists, and Eve must protect her value as a person and cover her parts of the body that differentiate her from Adam so that Adam doesn't use her as an object of mere use, because her personhood, the fact that she's, as Genesis 1.27 says, made in the image and likeness of God, demands that she not be used, not even in the innermost thoughts of Adam, not even in his innermost desire to enjoy her uh, in her body and sex. And so they sow fig leaves. And so in that, in that scenario, in Genesis 3.7, in that scenario... The appetites were now elevated above the will, the reason. In Genesis 2.25, we know that the reason was above the appetites. And so the the fall from grace of mankind flip-flopped those two things. And that's when we have to really now moderate and control ourselves. Now, at the end of Genesis chapter 3, after God hears the confession of Adam and Eve and even Satan, the serpent, Even after that, he gives out the penances, just like in the Sacrament of Reconciliation today. He gave penances to all three. And then after that, what does he do? As he's escorting Adam and Eve out of the garden, he gives them clothes made from from leather, from animal skins, to cover their body. What is he doing? Much like the prodigal son's father who brings the, the robe and the ring and the shoes and the fattened calf there in Luke 15, much like the father bringing to his prodigal son all of these clothes, he's restoring their dignity as human persons because he knows they feel shame. And so he is restoring their dignity. 
so that that shame can work appropriately. When used appropriately, it leads to love. When used in, inappropriately, it leads to lust and leaves us with a feeling of regret and shame. And so that uh, is a, a very good base for us to discuss how to practice continence and self-control. The first step is, as we said, to place our reason above our appetites. We must remind ourselves of the reasons for things, you know, as a good way to put it. But in those early days, after God, you know, bowled me over with a 12-pound sledgehammer, as I like to say, there on my knees in April of 2002, I was unemployed. And the first job that I was able to get was in an office. I was surrounded by women. I was the only guy in the, in the room. It was so difficult. I just spent 20 plus years, you know, with the free exercise of pornography and sexual license, doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted to do it. And now I was having to control myself. It was extremely difficult at times. And I would break out into cold sweats with lustful temptation. And so this is what I did. I immediately would overt my eyes at the first instance of temptation. I would overt my eyes and I would often remove myself from the situation. I would maybe go into the bathroom or go outside and I would pray. I started to invoke Our Lady into this situation. I brought in Our Blessed Mother because there is no more purer woman in all of creation than the Mother of God. Her divine yes, her her yes, which isn't divine in and of itself, but her yes has a divine quality to it because her fiat, her yes, let it be done to me according to thy to thy word, that act of a sheer obedience, that is pure, so pure. And it's that nature of hers, that pure nature of hers, that yes, that distinguishes her from all others. It's not her biology as much as her fiat that we recognize and respect and honor as much as we do as Catholics. Well, this pure woman, this woman of heaven, this woman of earth, the queen of heaven and earth, as we call her, according to Revelation 12, she can play a pivotal role, a successful role, if you are struggling with pornography addiction. If you find yourself in the middle of a relationship where you are being abused by someone who is addicted to pornography or sexual license because of your value as a person made in the image and likeness of God, a son or a daughter of the Most High, Our Lady can help in a big way. Well, every single time I was tempted by lust, even today, I do this still today, I pray a Hail Mary. You know, I I pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, and blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. By the time I'm done praying that little prayer, the temptation has dissipated. That's how powerful Our Lady can play a role in your daily struggle. And it is daily. In the beginning, I would pray hundreds of those every single day. And over time, it gets easier because you get stronger, because Our Lady is able to work in your life. Now, that doesn't make you a saint. It doesn't mean that you will, any at any time in your life between now and the time that you die and, and, and prayerfully go towards heaven through the, the purgatory fires, prayerfully, no, no time between now and that day, you will be free from sexual temptation. You will face that every single day between now and the time you are purified and are entered into the beatific vision. 
That's just part of it. So it's not if you will be tempted. It's what you will do when you are tempted. I wrote an article called Muscle Memory, uh, the rules of engagement for combat Christians. And you can find that at catholichack.com. I'll post a link to it on the show. And in this article, I talk about this act of continence, the self-control. It's about preparing beforehand for the battle. If you know what will come at you and you know how to react, when the time comes, you won't have to think about it. It will become instinct, instinctual. You will react to it without thinking and you will react in a good way and you will survive. You not only will survive, but you will be successful as a result. So again, just to repeat, we we place our reason above our appetites, we overt our eyes, we remove ourselves from the situation, and we pray. Now, we control the temptations, but it's not enough. It's only a start. John Paul II actually tells us on, uh, on page 197, here he says that, uh, quote, There is no valid continence without recognition of the objective order of values. The value of the person is higher than the value of sex. There is no valid continence, he says, without recognition of the objective order of the values. Blind self-restraint alone is not enough. That's page 197. Blind self-restraint alone is not enough. He says, basically, just reacting to the situation is not going to work. Yes, you might have discipline, and it might get you through a time, but there will come a time when your discipline will basically uh, it'll fail, and you will fall right back to where you were before. So just reaction is simply not good enough. You must not just be defensive, but you must now be offensive. In the uh, article that I wrote, Muscle Memory, I, I kind of give the analogy of a combat unit. And I, I gave a story. I talked about how I had uh, led a, a patrol of Marines on a search and destroy mission. And ultimately, we ended up in an ambush. And we were being ambushed by the enemy unit. And the Marine Corps trains for just such a scenario. There is only one way to react to that scenario. And that's to counter-assault with everything you've got to try to overcome the enemy with superior firepower, with violence of action, and to do it as fast as possible. And we had this little uh, thing that we would say, you know, get online, assault through. We would scream it, get online, assault through, get online, assault through. You would all line up and you would charge the enemy position. Now, it's it's kind of a, you know, scary thing because when you're getting online, when you're forming a line and you're advancing towards automatic weapon fire coming your way, you're going to get hurt, okay? Many of you will not make it. But if you lie there on the ground, you're dead already. It's just a matter of time. If you want a fighting chance, then you will counterattack as fast as possible. The same analogy works in the spiritual combat. When we are attacked, when we are attempted, especially in sexual temptations, if we do not react immediately, then we are dead already. If we do not counterattack immediately, then we have no chance of survival. If we want to survive, no, more than that. If we want to succeed, then we must counterattack and we must be, we must have what we would call violence of action. And to do that in the spiritual life, we call down the saints and especially Our Lady 
to be that firepower that we need to bring to the combat, to bring to the battle, to change the pitch in our favor. But John Paul II says we must now also do what he calls the grafting on. He says we graft on the values of the person to that natural reaction to the body in order to remind ourselves that this person is made in the image and likeness of God. He says, quote, We might speak here of a sort of grafting of the value of the person onto the sensations which fill the whole consciousness with an intense awareness of sexual values. You know, at that moment when a man is tempted with lust, maybe it's standing in the checkout line of the grocery store or driving down the street and seeing a billboard of a half-naked woman, you know, selling an innocent object like a toothpaste or something, or maybe it's, uh, you know, trying to buy a coffee at a convenience store and having all these posters of these scantily clad women selling beer at the checkout stand. You know, all of these situations create near occasions of sin. And so many men who are already struggling with sexual uh, freedom, sexual license, the lack of understanding of what true freedom is uh, and a, a shamelessness in their life. These men are now finding themselves under constant attack under constant temptation for lust. And if they don't know how to react, then they just sit there and they, and they, uh, they flail in the wind of, the, of this temptation and it quickly takes them down. Well, the, the sensuality in this situation, the, the effect on the consciousness, on the body, is so overwhelming in a man that John Paul II says we must use this to our advantage. We must turn the tables on the situation. We, because sensuality is natural to the man, we can therefore use it to our advantage by grafting on the objective purpose of the person that we are then using in that moment. So let's say it's a, a poster of a scantily clad, like a, a woman in a bikini trying to sell beer at a convenience store. And we're standing there trying to buy, you know, gum or something, something, a coffee, something very innocent, you know, and a man is, is sitting there seeing this and he's, his mind starts to race about, you know, the lustful temptation of what he might do with that woman sexually. Well, in that instant, the instant he starts to feel the temptation, he must then react. He must practice self-control. He must put his reason above his appetite. The appetite for sex must now be an inferior value over the value of that person made in the image and likeness of God, a daughter of the Most High. He should then, therefore, overt his eyes and maybe even remove himself as he's praying, as I said, as I do, the Hail Mary. But because this this reaction to the image of this woman is so strong, it permeates his entire being, he can therefore take advantage of this and place the value of that woman on top of the momentum of the sensuality and allow that objective value to therefore permeate his entire being, his entire consciousness, and let it move throughout his whole being so that it will... It's like getting more bang for the buck. It goes through, it just, it absorbs into his whole person. And what we mean by that is, in that instant, at that critical moment, like I was faced with the the ambushing, ambushing enemy fire coming 50 yards from a gully, okay, we needed to get online and assault through. In this situation, we need to turn the tables as we overt our eyes, 
as we remove ourselves from the situation, as we pray, we also remind ourselves by saying, she does not exist to pleasure me. She is a woman made in the image and likeness of God. She is a daughter of the Most High. We do that as we pray, as we remove ourselves, as we overt our eyes, as we place the value of the person above our appetites. We can therefore say we are grafting on the objective or the objective value of the person on top of this intense awareness of the sexual values. And if we do that, if we do both, if we practice both self-control and objectivization, the proper ordering of the objective value of the person over the uh, value of sexuality, then we are truly moderating ourselves. Then we are a disciplined person. We are practicing self-control. He goes on to say, quote, this feeling is natural a phenomenon. It tells us how powerfully the reflex of carnal desire acts upon the conscience mind and the will. As true love of the person develops, this reflex will grow weaker. The value will return to the person to their proper places. And what he's talking about, that's page 199. He's talking about how at first, when a man first encounters the need to practice self-control or continence, he, he he sort of feels a bit of a loss. He's used to just free willy nilly. You know what they a lot of men say is he's enjoying the menu, right? It's not there's no hard to when there's no harm in window shopping to just looking. You know we're not doing anything. I'm just gazing. I'm just looking. No, you're destroying your soul. I mean Matthew chapter five verse twenty eight actually makes that clear. Uh, Matthew five twenty seven and twenty eight. Jesus says, "You've heard it said that if you were to have have." a relationship with a woman outside of your marriage that's committing adultery. And he's basically saying, I tell you that if you even look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you are guilty of adultery. So we know that window shopping, that perusing the menu, as a lot of men like to say, is sinful. It's evil, and it destroys your soul. Sin is the only thing that separates you from God, and when you are separated from God, if you were to die in that state, you go to hell. And therefore, it is deadly serious, and therefore we must address it. And so, at first, when a man encounters the reality of the situation, the seriousness of his action... He must he, he he tends to feel a loss as if he's losing out on something as if he doesn't get to enjoy this woman visually and mentally and physically then he's losing something but see that's a disordered worldview that's concupiscence you know running amok in our life and so John Paul II says it will grow weaker as you start to practice continence as you learn the objective value of the person the, the the sense of loss grows weaker and the value of the person grows stronger in your whole person and it, it returns itself to the proper order. So it's very important that a man be reminded that he must practice continence. He must practice control. We must do both. We must contain the carnal desires. We must properly order those values. If we don't, then we can't be said to be properly moderated. We can't be disciplined men. We can't be perfect men or even perfect women if we allow ourselves to be used in that fashion. Because to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect is a command from Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 verse 48. 
John Paul II says, quote, understanding objectively and correctly the value of the person in relation to the sexual values without at the same time containing the promptings of carnal desire, he cannot be said to be self-controlled or chaste. The person is more than body and sex. True love seeks to know them fully and not just partially. If we love someone, we desire their greatest good. We desire the only the best, and you will pour yourself out, sacrificing yourself like Christ for His bride, if you truly love somebody. You will not use them. You will not desire only a portion of them, but you want them fully. You want all of them, all of them, mind, body, and soul. John Paul II says on the bottom of page 199, quote, For the value of the person must be not merely understood by the cold light of reason but felt. We can't just understand them, but we must feel them. We must experience them whole and complete. An abstract understanding of the person does not necessarily beget a feeling for the value of the person. This, in its full metaphysical sense, seems to transcend the upper limit of our emotional life and to develop in parallel with the spiritualization of our inner life. John Paul is the deepest mind I have ever read. My brain had brain cramps when I first read this book. Well, I'm praying for you, and I hope you're going to continue to pray for me. Stop by the website at www.catholichack.com for the show notes, for links to Jesse Manabusen, and for links to the, the Pilgrim Center of Hope, where I'll be giving a talk on March 20th. And I hope that you'll either stop by or check out the materials after. Well, until next time, may God bless you. From the Catholic Underground. <laughs>